Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono says her Senate colleagues don't quite know how to react to a short Japanese woman using expletives. We'll talk with the outspoken senator about her anti-Asian hate crimes legislation, Biden safety net and infrastructure plans, and what Hawaiians would like Californians to consider when traveling there. And with census figures confirming the state will lose a congressional seat, California's Independent Redistricting Commission must now draw district lines accordingly. We talk with a commission member. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When President Joe Biden addresses a joint session of Congress tonight, two women will be seated behind him for the first time, Vice President Harris and Speaker Pelosi. Hawaii Senator Maisie K. Hirono knows a thing or two about firsts. She was the first Asian-American woman to be elected to the U.S. Senate and the only serving senator who is an immigrant. That a, quote, quiet, watchful girl who had grown up desperately poor dared to aspire to high office, Hirono attributes to her mother in her new memoir, Heart of Fire. Senator Hirono, welcome to Forum. Good to be with you, Mina. I just also wanted to start by offering my condolences for the very recent loss of your mother, as I understand it. I'm very sorry. Thank you. You came to the U.S. from Japan, as I understand, at the age of seven. Your memoir is Heart of Fire, an immigrant daughter's story. I was so struck by the fact that you're the only serving U.S. senator who is an immigrant. I have to ask, what does that tell you? What does that communicate to you? Uh, a number of things that uh, uh, it, it uh, it's not easy to be elected to the U.S. Senate. And uh, a lot of immigrants uh, do not have that kind of opportunity. So I'm very grateful, but I hope that things are changing and there will be more uh, people not born in our country who decide after they become naturalized, as I did, to seek public office and contribute in that way. 
Were you alarmed then when President Biden, for example, announced plans to cap the number of refugees admitted to the U.S. at the level set by the previous administration, that's 15,000? Biden has since taken that back, but can you make the argument about why it should be higher? Of course, the refugees are people who have already been vetted and who should be enabled to come to our country. And clearly 15,000 uh, is way too low. And um, a number of us communicated that to President Biden and his administration. Uh, that is not what he promised uh, to do with, with the, uh, this group of people. And so he is going to change his uh, mind and do what he said he was going to do. What number is okay with you, Senator Hirono? What do you think is right? I think that uh, he says something about hundred over 100,000, so eventually we should get there, hmm. at least. As I said, these are people who have already been vetted. They, these are not the people who are, who, who are waiting uh, to have their asylum claims adjudicated. Yes. And that said, when I think about asylum seekers, especially the southern border, I'm remembering that you wrote about being reminded of your brother, Wayne. And one of the reasons being was that Trump's family separation policy at the southern border was something that, that you felt very deeply would have very traumatic effects on the children. You wrote quote, that uh, your brother Wayne carried the weight of a much gentler separation for the entirety of his tragically short life. Can you tell listeners what you meant by that? When my mother brought the two older of her three children to Hawaii, uh, that would be me and my older brother. She did so because we were old enough to go to school. And sadly, she had to leave my younger brother, who was not old enough to go to school, and there would be nobody to take care of him in Hawaii as my mother worked. And we, of course, did not know the trauma of that separation on my younger brother, although he was left in the care of my loving grandparents who had taken care of me when, um, from the time I was three to before I arrived. And so, yes, the trauma of family separation, to be ripped from the arms of your parents, is a, a lasting harm. And that is what Trump inflicted on thousands and thousands of children. I was also struck by how you were conflicted, though, about telling your brother's story on the Senate floor. You ultimately did in June of 2018. But why were you conflicted about it? I am a, a very reserved person, and I did not talk readily about my family. But uh, it was, uh, it, it was, I think the, the time called for me to share my very personal experience of the trauma that our nation through, through Trump uh, was inflicting on people. And I also talked about my younger sister and that was very hard too because up to that point I had never talked about my baby sister's death in Japan, which I think if she had had access to healthcare, her life could have been saved. She died at home. Did you worry about sharing those kinds of stories because you didn't want to be perceived as trying to score political points or a political advantage using using those kinds of painful experiences? It was more the, my own difficulty in talking about it because it is very hard for me to talk about uh, these very personal experiences uh, without becoming very emotional. And uh, when I chose to tell the story, it was really to uh, to to 
uh, exemplify or, or to, to show people that there are people serving in the United States Senate who, ha who have gone through the kind of, uh, of harshness and challenges that so many people in our country face. And so it didn't matter to me if some people thought I was trying to be, uh, trying to take advantage of a situation, of my particular situation. It, it was more important to tell those stories that yes. I think resonate with so many people in our country. Yes, the personal nature of it. I, it's interesting hearing you say that you are a very reserved person because, of course, one of the things that has happened in the last four years, Senator Hirono, is that people have commented much more on how outspoken you are. Can you talk about um, whether you made a transition, uh, a conscious transition over the course of the last four or five years? I've always been a very focused and determined person, and I ran for office in 1980, so I have been in public life for a long time. I got, I, I was able to accomplish a lot of the goals that I set in terms of the bills, et cetera, without having to be uh, that noisy and confrontational about it. And so uh, the culture that I come from, Hawaii, which is uh, not particularly verbal or confrontational, we tend to uh, want to work together in harmony. So uh, those kinds of, of, of behaviors were not particularly uh, supported in Hawaii, definitely not coming from a woman. But I am in an environment where the uh, time called for me and others to stand up to the bully that was occupying the White House. And so I began to speak out in a much more sustained way <laughs> because every day... <laughs> There was some fresh assault on the body politic by this person and his administration. And I realized uh, going forward that uh, it was important for people to hear someone like me speaking very plainly about the concerns that they, uh, they had. So I did not do it to gain attention. I just began to do it to, to push back uh, against this huge bully in the White House. And in some ways, is that also how you reconcile people's concerns with what they describe as the coarsening of our political political rhetoric? Coarsening? Yes, coarsening or becoming you know, more. To me, yeah. to me mm -hmm. coarsening, coarsening of a body politic is when you inflict harm on others, when you, when you attack Asian Americans who haven't done anything to you. That is the coarsening that I uh, care about. And yes, sometimes I swear because in the Trump administration and all the horrible things that were happening to people in our country, if you weren't moved to swear once in a while, you weren't paying attention. Senator Hirono, I, I heard that you don't wear AirPods anymore, that you don't, that you make sure that you're you're not listening to something um, through your headphones. Why? Why do you do that now? There is a significant increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders throughout the country in all 50 states, including the District of Columbia. I don't know a, a single Asian American or Pacific Islander person who is unaware of the potential for somebody to come and harm them. And so we have to pay attention to our environment. And I would not be walking around blithely, walking down the street, listening to audiobooks or anything else for that matter. I need to be aware of my surroundings. I mean, it, it's such a such a statement on our times at the moment. And I know that you, of course, have anti-Asian hate crimes legislation that passed 
in a very bipartisan way. I think there was only one senator, Josh Hawley, who voted against it. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that legislation, just because here in the Bay Area especially, there are a lot of communities of color who are very wary of a stronger police presence or law enforcement involvement in communities, even with regard to things that um, are related to attacks on people of color. How do you address that concern with this bill when you're talking about it and what it will do? There are two parts uh, to this bill. The first part is uh, is the important me- message to the API community that the U.S. Senate and soon followed by the U.S. House that we will stand with the API community uh, against this kind of discrimination and targeting of uh, API's and in doing so standing with the uh, discriminatory actions against any minority group. So that's one. And then the, the practical aspects of the bill, I, I thought were very non-controversial. What, what it would do is require the attorney general to name a person to review these kinds of crimes and to work with state and county law enforcement to, uh, to enable them to set up online reporting of these kinds of crimes and incidents, which we all know are very much underrepresented. And so it gives us a database in which to determine the uh, significance of uh, what is happening um, with these kinds of crimes so that we can take appropriate steps, next steps. We're talking with Senator Maisie K. Hirono, who's been representing Hawaii since 2013 and is now author of the new memoir, Heart of Fire, An Immigrant Daughter's Story. And I should mention that Senator Hirono will be in conversation with George Takei at a virtual book passage event on May 1st at 4 o'clock if you want to join that. But you can join us now, listeners, with your questions, comments, thoughts, or reactions to what you're hearing Senator Hirono saying. Uh, also, uh, right after the break, we'll be talking about uh, President Biden's speech to a joint session of Congress later tonight. So if you want to weigh in on what you think Democrats' legislative priorities should be and what they've been so far. Uh, also, if you have any questions about Hawaii and how Hawaii is faring throughout this past year, give us a call. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. Stay with us. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono. She's been representing Hawaii since 2013, and her new memoir is Heart of Fire, An Immigrant Daughter's Story. And if you have questions or thoughts for Senator Hirono, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Hirono is the first Asian-American woman to serve in the U.S. Senate and also the only senator serving who is an 
immigrant. You can call us again, 866-733-6786. You can reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or you can email us at forum at kqed.org. Senator Hirono, President Biden's address to the joint session of Congress tonight will be the first time two women, the vice president and speaker, will sit behind the president, which I know means a lot to you after reading your reflections on how you were also treated because you are a woman rising in the ranks. Um, Among the things that President Biden will likely highlight uh, besides his vaccination successes is is his new sweeping American Families Plan, which we got more information about today and I'd love to ask you about. I was really struck by the scope of this plan on top of the the scale of the plans that Biden uh, has put forward in addition to it, uh, the stimulus bill, of course, passed. He's proposed a $2.3 trillion infrastructure bill. This $1.8 trillion American Families Plan, just to give our listeners a sense, uh, since the details are fairly new, two years of community college for every American, pre-K for all three and four-year-olds, hundreds of billions of dollars for child health care and to fight child poverty and for paid family and medical leave. First, can we afford this, Senator Hirono? I think the question should be, can we not afford to do it? Because these are all tremendous, uh, longstanding needs in our our country. And with, with the pandemic, we know that, for example, millions of women left the workforce to take care of their families. And in order for them to get back, they're going to need to have a paid family and a child, child uh, uh, programs. So... Uh, there are so many aspects of the, the needs in our country that have long been ignored. And I'm glad that Joe Biden sees the need and is going to push forward with the, the kinds of programs that will meet the to meet the needs of our families. Well, the White House is proposing to pay for this with a tax hike on the wealthiest Americans and the the infrastructure plan as well, planning to pay for that with um, with an increase on corporations. And I guess the question that I have is, is Republicans have already balked at that? They're they're balking at this as well. How do you how do you intend to get Republicans on board? And do you think that's needed? I mean, do you worry about the lack of bipartisanship so far on the previous bills? Notice that the the American Rescue Plan, which was a, a one point nine trillion. Um, plan to put money into the pockets of our, the people in our country. Uh, the, not a single Republican voted for it. I, they did not think that the people in their states uh, deserved this kind of support. So uh, going forward, when we're talking about a, a huge jobs plan and a huge uh, uh, family plan, I would love for them to recognize the needs of the, the, the whatever we call just regular people in our country and not just meet the needs of the richest 1% of the people and corporations in our country, which is what they did with their 1.5 trillion and unneeded tax cuts for those folks. So I would love it if they would come around. On the other hand, we don't have the luxury of time to wait for them to uh, come to the point where they recognize the, the needs of our people and work with us. If they do, great. If not, we are going to, in my view, either have to do filibuster reform or we have to use a, a process called reconciliation mm-hmm. to get these measures passed with a sense of urgency. Well, similar to what we're talking about, Curtis writes, does Senator Hirono find any common ground in 
any common ground in the Senate with Republicans that will move the infrastructure bill to a vote? Considering that that uh, the Republicans know that there are huge infrastructure needs in our country, one would think that uh, they would be able to uh, move further than their $600 billion infrastructure bill that contains at least half of it already appropriated, already, um, <laughs> already accounted for. So their infrastructure bill is so small that it doesn't even meet the needs of our country and, and their own state's needs. We shall well, see. <laughs> we we shall see. But you're. It sounds like you're basically saying, "Hey, you know, either get on board, or you're looking at reconciliation." Filibuster reform sounds like a much harder thing to achieve, Senator Hirona. Is there any movement that we're unaware of as listeners on that? If Mitch McConnell decides tomorrow that he is going to work with Democrats to pass these kinds of needed legislation, we wouldn't be talking about filibuster reform. But if he continues to be the obstructionist that he is, because his goal is to take back the Senate, which means that he is not about to help Joe Biden succeed in any large way, he's not about to support the Democrats in the Senate, then if this kind of obstruction continues during a time when our country has tremendous needs to get our economy back on track, uh, then I think uh, the Democrats who actually want to get things done uh, will decide this isn't working. Even Joe Manchin, he has said that he is open to a talking filibuster. Uh, I would say that we will come to a point where we can't just be waiting around for the Republicans to come around. We have already experienced them saying, well, we'll work with you. And then they, they fritter away a year and then they end up not voting for the thing that uh, they supposedly were negotiating with us on anyway. <laughs> well, I, I know from your book and from interviews that you have very little patience or respect for colleagues who you say speak one way behind closed doors and vote another way on the floor. I wonder how your relationships and the engagement must be, especially after January 6th with Senate Republicans. Has it changed uh, even more so than, I, yeah. I have always worked with Republicans on the bills that uh, where we shared similar concerns. So uh, in a very transactional way, I have worked with Republicans and I will continue to do so. Similar to my COVID-19 hate crimes bill, uh, that was a very bipartisan bill. I worked closely with Susan Collins and other Republicans to create more support for the bill while retaining the purpose of the bill. So I am happy to work with my Republican colleagues who come with good faith uh, uh, ideas <laughs> and who truly will work with us to get something done. Transactional. We're talking with Senator Maisie Hirono and Mel Wrights. As a Jodo Shinshu Buddhist, I feel a special pride that you serve our country as a U.S. Senator. Can you please speak to your Buddhist religious identity and how that has shaped your experience and outlook? Senator Herbert. I have um, I have made it plain that I am not a daily practicing Buddhist and that I don't uh, do chants and, and all of that. But Buddhism is a faith that acknowledges and respects other faiths. And that for that, um, uh, it, it, is a, it is an expansive faith. And basically, religion, which doesn't even have a single book uh, like the Bible, but what it aspires to is uh, is compassion and kindness, and that is what I how I aspire to behave. 
not always succeeding because I do have a level of impatience and I can be very terse with people. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you laugh after every time you say something. (laughs) You have to laugh, you know. I I tell you, sometimes when you express yourself uh, the way I do, I feel very free about it, but uh, um, I try to live up to the Buddhist uh, ideals of compassion and kindness. Well, it sounds like in many ways, while you say that that Trump and, and you call him a bully, that that brought out the need to be more vocal. It almost sounds like it is more truer to who you are. It's a more complete me. Hmm. Let's put it that way, because all of us have the capacity to speak up. Uh, I come from a culture uh, and uh, um, a background where being vocal, confrontational, and aggressive are not particularly rewarded, certainly not coming from a woman. And so um, I got things done by being very determined and focused in what I did. I just didn't have to be uh, sustained, uh, um, aggressive about it. I was very determined. But we all have the capacity to speak out. And and so uh, I, I describe myself as very reserved, but I'm in a in a, an environment, the political environment, where you know it, it requires me to to um, express a lot of the other aspects that we all have. <laughs> Our comfort zone may be to be reserved and for me to be quiet and all that, but uh, uh, it's clear that um, we all have a lot more. Uh, capacity for getting out of our comfort zones. And for me, speaking to the national press and being very clear about what I was saying uh, got me out of a comfort zone. But my entire life in politics is about getting out of a, a, a comfort zone because I had things to do. You know, I wanted to give back uh, through the political arena to my country and to my state. Well, let me go now to call her Ralph in San Francisco. Hi, Ralph. Thanks for waiting. Ralph, are you there? Good morning. Thank you. Yes, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to respond to the uh, API uh, hate crime bill. I just felt like um, the more I learned about it, um, it wasn't going far enough, and I was actually quite disappointed with what it was. And um, just instituting a database is not enough. There are people losing their lives out on the streets who are Asian American, uh, Pacific Islanders, and we live in constant fear now. And if you ask anybody on the streets about this, they are not in favor of taking away funding for the police. If anything, we need more police to be proactive. Now, we are for police reform. We understand what that is and and the need for it. But taking away from police and taking away support for what they, the work that they do honorably on the streets is not what Asian Americans believe. And I just want to pass that along. So my question for the senator, senator is, given how limited this bill is, I mean, I just don't even think the name is appropriate, you know, mm. because it just it doesn't go far enough. Senator Hirono? Uh, what do you feel is the next step uh, that, it, that might be more kind of meat to the bones of what's, what can be implemented? Sorry, Ralph, I thought you were done there. To, to Ralph's point, how are data supposed to make us safer? First of all, you have to have facts in order to determine what the extent of the problem is and to enable people to report these kinds of crimes and incidents very underreported. And of course, well, of course, I know that a single bill doesn't go far enough because a bill like this doesn't change the hearts and minds of all these people who have who bear animus against AAPIs and who will act upon that by hurting people, uh, uh, totally unprovoked attacks. 
So yes, there is a lot more that we have to do. It's very helpful that AAPIs who have identified themselves as often invisible for all of us to be speaking up. I see more AAPI people uh, speaking out on, on TV than I ever have in my entire life. So our community is aroused. We have to fight back. But we recognize that's not all there is. And of course, there are already crimes. You know, these are assaults. We expect the police to be uh, prosecuting and fraud prosecutors to be uh, enforcing the crimes that are the, the assault crimes that are already on the books. Of course, nobody's talking about I certainly am not talking about defunding the police. No, I've been uh, b- believe me, I am very realistic about the things that we need to do. Well, Ralph, and yes. the bill, the bill is a is a first step, and I think one of the important aspects of this bill, Ralph, is when was the last time that Congress actually stood up and said we are we abhor these kinds of crimes and we stand with the AAPI community very clearly? When was the last time that Congress did that? I can't remember. <laughs> so here we go. It is a first step. And let me thank Ralph for the call. Holly writes, as Republicans do not see social infrastructure as part of infrastructure, could we get both the infrastructure package and the family bill if the caregiver and child care worker provisions of the infrastructure bill were in the proposed family bill instead? Hmm. Any thoughts on Holly's idea? I would like the entire, uh, basically, but both the for the care economy, as, as sometimes it's referred to, as well as the, the uh, infrastructure to go together because both are very needed to enable people to go get back to work. And a huge um, group of the people that I'm talking about are women who need this kind of of support in order to do that. So I would like the the bills to remain intact because once you start parceling out uh, certain aspects, then what happens is that the other parts of the, uh, the, the initiative gets set aside and we never address them. One of the things that I wanted to make sure to ask you about before you leave us in the next few minutes, Senator Hirono, is that a lot of Californians feel quite a connection to Hawaii. And I know that Hawaii opened its doors more to tourism in late fall. Reluctantly, actually, for some who've noted that Hawaii's waters have never been clearer. They're worried about tourist adherence to COVID rules. What's your message to visitors? That Hawaii had put in place some um, safety and health requirements that uh, we hope that everyone adheres to. Uh, it is one of the reasons that we have a much lower incidence of people who are tested positive, et cetera. And so we want to keep it that way. But of course, we are very, very economically dependent on tourism and all of the impact that a lack of tourists has on our on practically every other business. And so we'd like to have... Um, our country get back on track economically. And for that, one of the major important things is for people to get vaccinated <laughs> and for a president to to take uh, responsibility and say, uh, unlike the, the other guy, to say, we are going to take responsibility to, to get this pandemic under control. And part of it is to really push out the vaccination of millions and millions of people. That is one of the ways, one of the major ways that we're going to be able to reopen our schools and get our businesses back on track and get our economy back on track. And so that's uh, what Hawaii hopes to do. When that happens, tourism will be able to come back in uh, the much greater numbers than what we have now. And it'll help uh, all of the people in Hawaii. 
Well, let me go to Danny in Santa Rosa. Hi, Danny. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for taking my call. I want to just give thanks to Senator Hirono. I didn't know that you were the sole immigrant senator. Um, I, I'm still, still amazed that I'm learning so much about Asian-American politicians. I'm in my late 20s. Um, I was a former major of Asian-American studies, and I just I, I'm really excited about this moment we're having where both in pop culture, all around our society, we're having more of this education on Asian-American leaders. And so for me, coming from immigrant parents, um, I came across a lot of minority stereotype often in college, and I was a first-generation college student. So that was something that was really hard for me coming from working class. So it's really affirming to hear these narratives because, like, we come from struggle. And I, I want to say that unites us within this racial injustice movement. And so um, I'm very excited for your book. I work in the library. So um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Danny, thanks for calling. I don't know, Senator Rona, if there's anything you want to say to Danny. Well, thank you, Danny. And I. Uh, if, if you're reading my book, I hope you find uh, many aspects of it that you can relate to the immigrant experience of uh, facing challenges for education. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you uh, work in a library because I love libraries and I love reading. <laughs> Do you, you take go- care. <laughs> Thanks again, Danny. Do you go back to Japan very often? Even though seven is young, it's also to have your first seven years in a in a country, it's very formative. Oh, of course. And I was almost eight when I came to this country. And we know that in the first five years of your life, a, a lot of your brain synapses and those connections are already made. And so I have very, very vivid memories of living with my grandparents in Japan. And there are many parts of uh, my growing up there that uh, uh, I do not forget. And of course, my uh, immigrant experience. I love Japan. I'm, I'm happy my mother brought me to this country because I never would have had the opportunities uh, in Japan, sadly, that I've had here, it, education, et cetera. Uh, but uh, I love Japan. And you know, once uh, I'm able to get back there safely, uh, there are many places in Japan that I would love to visit because I love the aesthetics and the artistry of the Japanese culture. Yes, I love the point you make about her, how that she was not afraid to 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 strive and to seek out a new life. Well, Senator Hirono, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. Same here. Aloha, everyone. <laughs> we have another segment of Forum coming up. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.